nothing wrong with your station. We are attempting to decalcify your third eye. This is the Third Eye High podcast. We deal with a higher consciousness of a flyer culture. And I'm your host, JF Bay. I'm just here to shine my light your way to help you find your light switch and keep your light lit. As we continue on with the book report series, I got another powerful installment. Another great book I want you guys to add to your libraries. And as we continue on in the book report series, this is volume two. The last episode, we went over volume one, The Invention of the White Race by Theodore Allen. Now, this is volume two, The Invention of the White Race, The Origin of Racial Oppression in Anglo-America by Theodore W. Allen. If you thought the last book was powerful, guys, I need you to pour up your sea moss, pour up your favorite beverage, you know what I'm saying, get you a smoothie, get you, get you what you need to get right, take your herbs, roll up your herbs, whatever you got to do, get your pen and your pad, and get ready to take some notes because we're going to dive deep down that rabbit hole and we're going to really go into this American story right this history story right but it's I'm not a historian per se I'm more like a our story right I'm invested in our story and getting our story right and this uh volume is very important because the title of the book alone the invention of the white race to let you know that this whole concept of this whiteness and all this was created and it was created during this institution of so-called slavery because it, it hid the fact that the people that were being enslaved were all races and many of them were being enslaved by their own race and to hide their identity they became white and in the last installment they were talking about you could purchase a certificate of royal whiteness <laughs> you could buy documentation to become white so this proves that that shit has nothing to do with black skin, white skin, because scientifically no one has black skin and no one has white skin. These are statuses, right? And that white person, free white person was multiple races and it referred to property owners that had the right to vote. And when they imposed this misnomer on our people, Negroes, blacks, coloreds, etc., any other name you try to use this week, black denoted to an unknown ancestry. In fact, it related to a legal term in Latin, civilitir mortus, which means your rights are civilly dead in the eyes of the law. How do we prove that? That they called us Negro, they called it colored, they called it Afro-American, they called us all these interchangeable misnomers, but none of these are national identity. And the same people whose names keep changing still keep fighting and protesting and marching on for what? Civil rights treat us civil but if you're created equal you're not arguing about your civil rights case in point you're not in the streets in 2023 screaming black life matters see black is a made-up construct just like the white race was a made-up construct and we have to wrap our heads around this and we're going to get into this book and it's going to reveal a lot of powerful stuff that we all know in our spirits to be true but something has to be said in order to wake up that DNA in you to understand that you are the indigenous people of all the continents. You are already here on this land. We got proof. We got receipts. 
We're going to go over this. You are that Hebrew. You are that more. We are all one and the same. <laughs> Even the, the Christian, you are the original member. These people wrote themselves in history and assumed your identity. Webster's Merriam Dictionary, 1878, the definition for American, the copper colored races, copper colored races here before Columbus arrived, later changed to the descendants of Europeans, right? They're from England, right? They were the Englishmen. How did they become the American? If they came to a land called America, they'd already had Americans already on the land. Do you understand? So we're going to get into something powerful powerful literature because i like to qualify with the scholarship right I'm not, i don't want to get in my feelings i like to deal with the facts right and this is why for almost 10 years of my life i've been digging to get this story better yet all of my life but mainly in the last 10 years i've been astute in, in the scholarship and digging in the books and spending extensive amounts of money just to get my hands on books that were out of print and books that were hard to find and arguing with librarians when they didn't want me to check out books when I was younger and I'm like what the fuck are they hiding because they would teach us all this black history bullshit and you know the watered down version of our culture and I said nah our story's bigger than that our story has to be bigger than that and I always had this innate uh, ability in me to want to know right I never wanted to to claim like I know it all I just wanted to know so let's get into this guys the book report series continues today's installment the invention of the white race volume two the origin of racial oppression in anglo-america by theodore w allen man let's crack it open let's crack it open let's get into the get to so now we start off with this particular introduction, right? And it speaks of uh, volume two. So in volume, in this volume, the origin of racial oppression in Anglo-America tells the story of the invention of the white race in the late 17th century, 17th and early 18th century, Anglo-American uh, plantation colonies. His primary focus lies with the pattern setting Virginia colony, right? Because remember, Virginia was the first colony that started off slavery. That's where it all started off at. So we got to go to the start of it all. Because in the start of it all, you can find out how the lie grew. And you find out your people wasn't enslaved for 400 years. You find out that your people didn't get stolen from a land. They got their land stolen from them. Their identity, their culture. But it's all found here in the Americas because you are the indigenous people of the largest of all the continents. <laughs> That's why they had to make it two, North and South America. But if I'm in North Philly and South Philly, I'm still in Philly, right? <laughs> so North America and South America is all America. So they got you thinking it's separate. Nope, and all the people of the land are indigenous. So let's get in. His primary focus lies within the pattern setting Virginia colony, and he pays special attention to how the majority English labor force was reduced from tenants and wage laborers to chattel bond servants in the 1620s. In this uh, qualitative break from the long established English labor laws, Allen finds an essential precondition for the emergence of the lifetime hereditary chattel bond servitude imposed on African-American laborers upon the system of white supremacy and racial slavery. 
He also documents many significant instances of labor solidarity and unrest, especially during the 1660s and 1670s, most uh, spectacularly during the Civil War stage of Bacon's Rebellion. Bacon's Rebellion. This is my shit here. They should make a whole movie on that itself. And if they were talking about Bacon's Rebellion in history classes, I wouldn't have got expelled from school because I got kicked out of every history class throughout the years. I got straight A's and B's in school. I love to learn. But when I seen that they were indoctrinating us, I started to do my own research and I would bring my findings to the class and I would try to converse with my instructor and the teacher like, nah, nigga, we're not going over that. Regardless of the facts you found, we're going to push the lie here. So I would combat all of my history teachers year after year because I knew that they were lying about our story. I just didn't buy that shit. Didn't buy it. And I see why today I'm doing research like this. So now Bacon's Rebellion, the white race was invented, right? So now the Civil War stage of Bacon's Rebellion, where 400 English and Negroes in arms fought together to secure freedom from bondage. Why don't they talk about these white slaves during history? Because the same time that slavery started, the same time this first colony started, you had 400 Negroes and so-called English whites banding together to fight against the ruling class. And they both were indentured servitudes. They both were uh, in a system where they forced their labor by way of contracts. Now, after Bacon's Rebellion, when they seen, oh shit, all of the oppressed could come together and rise up against the oppressor, they had to raise one class over the other. So they started to honor these contracts they had with these poor whites, where, you know, they were seven years, 10 years, remember 12 years a slave, they would end their contracts and they would be afforded freedom dues. And many of them got acres of land. And in fact, of our people, they extended these fraudulent contracts generationally and that's where you get the system of chattel slavery versus indentured servitude but it was all one system and the, the way they split it up and imposed it mainly on our people was to raise this newly class that they called the white race because they invented it but it had nothing to do with the skin because the people of the pale skin were their property and this is what they're hiding all of these so-called whites are hiding their history because if they told your story they would really have to tell his story. Do you see what's going on? Let's get into it. It was in the period after Bacon's Rebellion that the white race was invented as a ruling class social control formation. Allen describes systematic errors and bond servants while blocking normal class mobility and imposing or extending harsh disabilities on African Americans. Eventually, these policies uh, culminated in a system of racial slavery, a form of racial oppression that also imposed severe prescriptions on free African Americans. See, they don't speak of, they keep having you thinking that every so-called black person in this country was a slave for 400 years. They don't tell you by way of class and by way of labeling in the census records that they all said we all were a population of ex-slaves. Now, I'm not saying that many of these free people weren't forced into these fraudulent contracts and became prisoners of war. This is what I'm talking about. But I'm trying to get you to wrap your head around all of these were free people of these lands. And our lands were confiscated by way of changing our names and forcing this 
slavery story on the entire country. Henceforth, why they keep showing you these slave movies to keep your mind in a state of suspended animation and you think that this was taking place across the entire country. But remember, it was only 13 colonies. So what about the rest of the states that had nothing to do with these colonies? You're talking about free lands and free people that moved freely on the lands. This is what they, you, many of us can't wrap our heads around. It's like, how do you have people enslaved for 400 years when you don't have claim to, you have claim to maybe a third of the entire land mass? This makes no sense. Where are the rest of the people? See, they once they classified everyone as so-called blacks, Negroes, and coloreds, everyone's history started to blur the lines. And everyone used to think, oh, well, my ancestor was a slave. My ancestor was... When, None of this is true. In my own family tree, three years after slavery, my great-great-uncle William Brown, he owned an entire town called Brownstown in Maryland, which was one of the slave states. Now, if he was a slave and my family were slaves, now, I'm not saying they weren't prisoners of war forced into fraudulent contracts. Let's be clear. Many of our people went through the suffering, so I'm not negating the suffering. But I'm saying, if he was a slave his whole life, how did he find the money to, to buy an entire town not a house not a shack an entire town in uh 1868 three years after so-called slavery ended because many of the people were already free their lands were fraudulently confiscated and they were reclassified as ex-slaves not to negate that they weren't prisoners of war during times forced into fraudulent contracts and lands confiscated and their wealth confiscated etc see they owe us more than that 40 acres and if they told you your true identity, they would have to address that issue. But let's continue. Allen described systematic ruling uh, class policies that conferred privileges on European American laborers and bond servants while blocking normal class mobility and imposing or extending harsh disabilities on African Americans. Eventually, these policies culminated in a system of racial slavery. See, racism is a system that they created, right? A system of we're going to discriminate against one particular people. Nothing to do with your skin color. We classify you as this particular group that we're going to treat like shit, the last on the list. And this was to prop up this new class that they created called the white race. And it was just a buffer system to keep the two particular classes from joining forces against the reigning elite and fucking up their entire system of so-called bond servitude. Because all of these companies, see, slavery was a system of companies that later will become these Fortune 500 companies that will be on the stock market. And the stock, stock exchange, their first commodity was human labor. Nothing's changed. Same companies, they all massed their wealth from this institution of slavery, and they all want to tell you, hey, nothing to see here. We don't even want to apologize for slavery. We don't want to uh, give reparations for slavery, but we want to amass the profits that, you know, we we, uh, we want to keep the prof profits that we amassed during slavery, change our identity. Now we're some legitimate Fortune 500 company. But all of the banks in this country, all of their money comes from the system of slavery. That's what they don't want to talk about. They got you thinking it's some some redneck white niggas in the South that owned your ancestors when the damn government was pushing slavery. They, they instituted laws that said this shit was legal. So we're, we're, we need to address these administrations. The, the parties, the Democrats, the Republicans and all these other motherfuckers hiding under these banners. Because they all benefited from the system because they enforced it. 
And we keep saying we need to create a commission and we need to talk to a group of people about what they're going to do about reparations and how much they should give us. They owe us this entire motherfucking continent. How about that? <laughs> Bars. Let's continue. Allen emphasizes that in 1735, when African-Americans in Virginia were deprived of their long-held right to vote, with the aim, in the words of Governor William Gooch, to fix a perpetual brand upon free Negroes and mulattoes. See these different classes they're creating? So they saying African-Americans, free Negroes, mulattoes, which were mixed, mixed blood, right? It was not an unthinkable decision. Rather, it was a deliberate step in the process of establishing a system of racial oppression by the plantation bourgeoisie, even though it entailed repealing a law that had existed in Virginia for more than a century. The key to understand racial oppression, Allen argues, can be found in the formation of the intermediate social control buffer stratum, which serves the interests of the ruling class, still to this day, divide and conquer. And we can keep all the profits. That's how the 1% controls the 99. Nothing's changed. Uh, and the racial uh, oppression in Virginia, any person of discernible non-European ancestry after Bacon's rebellion were denied a role in the social control buffer group, the bulk of which was made up of laboring class whites. See, they were white slaves before Bacon's rebellion. After Bacon's rebellion, they still were slaves. They just had their contracts shortened and they honored their contracts by giving them acres of land, making them so-called said free white persons, property owners that had the right to vote. And everyone that was classified as non-whites out of this new group that they created, i.e. the indigenous people of the land, they were to be treated like shit. They weren't given the right to vote and all this other stuff because if you had the right to vote, you would change the laws that were used to keep you enslaved. Make sense? Goes on to say, after Bacon's rebellion, any person of discernible non-European ancestry after Bacon's rebellion were denied a role in the social class buffer group, the bulk of which was made up of laboring class whites. An Anglo-Caribbean, uh, by contrast, under a similar Anglo-ruling elite, mulattoes were included in the social control group and often promoted to middle-class status. Now, this was the situation where you had people of fairer complexion, right? Very light, because they were mixed bloods. So they were still classified as Negroes, but then they came up with this term called mulattoes. So many of them could pass for white. So they would prop them up. This is the house nigga, field nigga mentality. We're going to treat half of your group better than the other half. So then you would have the, the, the uh, darker complexion people envying those of the lighter complexion. And even still to this day, they have that psyche war going on with our people. Dark skin, light skin wars. That bullshit. But all of that was a system of divide and conquer. Even among one particular class. So it would always keep them with one leg up on everybody. Goes on to say, right? For Allen, this was the key to understanding the differences between Virginia's ruling class policy of fixing a perpetual brand on African Americans and the West Indian plant planters' policy of formally recognizing the middle class status of colored descendants. And this is when they started to call niggas colored. 
See, they never emphasized your skin color before Bacon's Rebellion. They started to say, well, nigga, you're a mulatto. You're a colored. You're a Negro. You're a black. All of this shit came later because it was just about dividing one particular class to keep one class fighting amongst itself to, to try to get this illusion of inclusion. If I can just be treated white. And that's why you got the talented 10th, the so-called Negroes with money, the billionaires of today that feel like they are arriving or they made it because they're included or they're accepted by the so-called white class when they're not. They just are the mulattoes of today. We're going to treat you a little bit better than the niggas you came, you, you grew up around, but you still a nigga to us, right? You wipe out Oprah's bank account, she's still a nigga. See, see, they will always remind you, you know, we can, we got the IRS on speed dial. We'll, we'll throw you back to your own at any given time if you're not tap dancing to our tune. And that's what we're looking at. And we all, oh man, we got these token blacks and we keep thinking we're going to aspire to be where they are. When they never going to let enough of us up to that particular level because that's what it's about. We need a buffer class. We need a few of these niggas to dress well amongst the... The bombs, you know what I'm saying? To make it look like they all can be a part of this American dream illusion. Interesting. So formally recognizing the middle class status of colored descendants who earn special merit through their service to the regime. See, the more you kiss the master's ass, the more you can stay in the master's house. But you can't never own the master's house. You can always be a guest in the master's house. And that's this concept in America. And it's never changed. Here the difference between racial oppression and national oppression can be explained by the fact that in the West Indies, there were too few poor and laboring class Europeans to create an adequate uh, petite bourgeoisie. While in the continental colonies, there were too many laborers to extend social mobility to all of them. The references to an unthinking decision and too few poor and laboring class Europeans are consistent with Allen's repeated efforts to challenge what he considered to be the two main arguments that undermine and disarm the struggle against white supremacy in the working class. White supremacism and, and is innate, and it is therefore useless to challenge it. European-American workers benefit from white race privileges. And still to the day, that's what this is. They know it's a lie. They know that they were slaves, just like your people were enslaved. But they got to perpetuate the lie. And that's where that illusion of supremacy comes. When they're really inferior to us. And this is in their spirit. And this is why they keep these laws and all this, the black code still taking place to this day. You wouldn't need a Black Lives Matter if they still weren't practicing the black codes today. Because you aren't black. Understand what I'm talking about. Black denotes to an unknown ancestry. And they're not white either. They're just afforded the privileges of this new particular class by running with the lie. European-American workers benefited from white race privileges. These two arguments opposed by Allen are related to two master, are related to, to master historical narratives rooted in writings in the colonial period. The first argument is associated with the unthinking decision, explanation for the development of racial slavery offered by historian Winthrop D. Jordan in his influential work, White Over Black. The second argument is associated with historian Edmund S. Morgan. Similarly, 
influential American slavery, American freedom, which maintains that as racial slavery developed, there were too few free poor European Americans on hand to matter. Allen's work directly challenges both Jordan's theory of the unthinking decision and Morgan's theory of too few free poor. Allen convincingly argues that the racial privileges conferred by the ruling class upon European American workers not only worked against the interests of the direct victims of white supremacy, they also worked against the workers' interests. His further, he further argues that these white skin privileges are the incubus that the three centuries has paralyzed the will of European Americans in defense of their class interests and vice versa, those of the ruling class. With its meticulous primary research and equal, equalitarian motif, its emphasis on the dimensions of class struggle in history and its groundbreaking analysis, Allen's The Invention of the White Race is now widely recognized as, scholarly, as a scholarly classic. Big facts. It was profound, it has profound implications for American history, African American history, labor history, American studies, and whiteness studies, as well as imposed insights in the areas of Caribbean history, Irish history, as well as the African diaspora studies. Its influence will only continue to grow in the 21st century. In an effort to assist readers in and encourage meaningful engagement with Allen's work, this new edition of Volume 2 of The Invention of White Race, The Origin of Racial Oppression in Anglo-American, includes a few appendices, appendixes, a guide to the invention of the white race, Volume 2, drawn in the part of Allen's unpublished uh, synoptic table of contents, and a select bibliography, right? See, the, the key thing about this scholarship it comes with big bibliography, right? So you don't have to take my word for it. You don't have to take the writer's word for it. You could jump down that rabbit hole, follow those reference points, and you could fact check this truth, right? Because we're not trying to push ideas down your throat. We're trying to broaden your scope of this picture of history, right? That they tried to whitewash. Let's get into it. Let's get into it, guys. Powerful, powerful stuff. Now, I want to qualify a few of uh, these excerpts, right? Because I'm not going to go through the whole book, but I'm going to uh, pull out some key excerpts in the book that stood out to me that, you know, I encourage the people to, you know, download and definitely get the book, support the author. You know what I mean? Salute. Let's get into it. The poor law as social control. A third of the population a third major problem of social control after the peasant revolts and labor relations arose out of the mass pauperization, right? When they called someone a pauper, it was like you were a vagabond. Vagabond is like a homeless person, right? And it's crazy that even now, look how they treat their homeless people in the cities of America today the same way. Like they, uh, they like you're repulsive and shit. Like, oh, get away from me. You got a disease. You got the poor disease. When... You have a system, right? This government, administration after administration, created this population of poor people because the poor people of the times were their people. Before they created this invention of white race, you had the hillbillies, you had the white trash, you had the sand dwellers, you had the clay eaters. These were all populations of so-called white people that were poor and landless. And after the land grab grants of 1895, where they gave them the indigenous people's land, i.e. our ancestors' land, they turned them into a 
entirely new class. Wiped out their history and rewrote it. And did the same thing with our people. Wiped out our history and rewrote it. Told you that all you were were a slave. When 99% of the population were free people, indigenous that belonged to this land before these pale-skinned races showed up. We got receipts though. You know what I'm saying? We got receipts though. So now the the presence of of a set of persons having no fixed abode was not a new phenomenon in England. But prior to the 16th century, it was more likely to be associated with a shortage of labor, leading uh, laborers to slip their uh, villain bonds to take better offers from new employers. The vagrancy problem of the 16th century, by contrast, was associated with the protracted general decline of wages and with a stubborn struggle by laboring people to maintain their rights to stay on their land, the extent of this structural unemployment, as it would be called today, is not uh, statistically verifiable. But it cannot be doubted that its appearance presented the state with serious difficulties. It was fundamental by, by uh, a fundamentally a byproduct of the vital, the vitality of ascendant capitalism. It was immediately linked with the references of the copy holders to uh, expropriation of their lands. In the in the words of Queen Elizabeth's chief advisor, Lord uh, Berkeley, the problem arose from the depopulation of whole towns and keeping of a shepherd only whereby many subjects are turned without habitation and fill the country with rogues and idle persons. The repeal of the 1547 slave law, after three years of ineffectiveness, marked the first glimmer of official acknowledgement that unemployment was not synonymous with willful idleness, uh, vagabondage, and roguery. A series of laws still sought to to draw a significant distinction between the impotent poor, who were to be relieved, and the sturdy beggars. The former were to be certified and provided for by uh, property persons of their parishes, but the sturdy beggars were still to be subject to whipping to transportation to their home parishes, and in some cases to exile or hanging as felons. So in England, when they would try to get rid of their poor, they would just charge them with a crime, make them a convict, and many of them would be sentenced to be hung. Just because you was poor, they would fucking hang you. We got to get rid of the poor niggas in the streets. Too many people out here fucking begging. Too many poor whites out here begging. Got to get rid of these niggas. So they put a lot of them on ships and shipped them to the colonies. As white slaves why have they never made a movie about white slavery in this country what are they hiding why won't they tell of their true story why won't they tell you his story for real right because it would unravel our story they can't have that they can't have that so now let's get into it we're gonna go around we're gonna go around we're gonna go around now, this one is powerful here, right? This part here, because it, it, it shows the connection, right? You know, you got many of the people from Haiti. You got many of the people, uh, Puerto Ricans. Uh, you know, we got people from Cuba. All of these people are indigenous, melanated people. We're all one and the same. We're family. 
but they had to separate these people because we all outpopulated them on all of the lands. So they had to lie to all of us and say, well, they dropped you off on a slave ship on the island and all of us came from Africa. That shit's a lie, my nigga, and I'm going to prove it. Let's get into it. So now, social control, Haiti and Hispaniola. Cuba and Puerto Rico. Now, a lot of people think that Spanish and Puerto Rican is one and the same. And they think that Hispanic is one and the same. Hispaniolo are the descendants of the people that raided Spain. That was previously called Al-Andalus, ruled by the Moors. That were later classified as Negroes, Blacks, and Coloreds. Indigenous people. That's why we look at somebody Puerto Rican and Spanish and you say, well, they black and they look like us and they don't want to be black. They knew because their ancestors told them that black was cutting them off from their ancestry. It's not a real identity. But they wasn't saying that they were against you. See, like if I call someone a negro, that's a derogatory term. Negro means black in Spanish. But a person black, they will call you moreno. Moreno meaning brown, brown skin. But it's a description. It's not a national identity. But let's get into this here, right? Because remember how they turned the Haitians and the Dominicans against each other and they're inhabitants of the same island. But they just created the same system, divide and conquer. So they did the same thing in the Americas. They had the Negro and they had the mulatto, which were the same damn people. One was just mixed and that was to prop one up higher than the other to make it seem like you're better than the other half. To keep them fighting amongst each other, never figuring out that they're all being ruled by the elite class. Let's get into this powerful scholarship. Social control, Haiti, Hispaniolo, Cuba, and Puerto Rico. When European colonization of the so-called New World began in Hispaniolo in 1492, remember all this is dealing with the Columbus situation. Now, earlier in the book report series, I go over a book, uh, Columbus's Quest to Find Jerusalem. And a lot of these are excerpts from Columbus's very own diary. This is from his own writings. And when he showed up to the Americas, he said the people look like the Moorish women of Spain. <laughs> Here in the Americas, the women were garbed up on some Islamic stuff. But 17 of your presidents in history, they all had a Quran in their own personal private matters but they won't tell you this and this country was not founded on christianity but when you speak of christianity itself you got to go back to the coptic church the coptic church of ethiopia predates the roman catholic church by hundreds of centuries see all of this stuff was originally from our people all of the religions came from us they since circumvented it stole it wrote their name on your paper, stole your works and your writings, and then tried to re-Christianize you to give you their form of their interpretation of the book. But remember, the Coptic church is older than the Roman church, and the Coptic church is all melanated people. So all of the popes and all of the, the apostles in the Bible, they all were people of dark complexion. This is what they're hiding. Just because they made a white statue of somebody, that don't mean they're telling the truth. Look at the description of the people within the books, within the writings. That's for another bill. But let's get into this. When European colonization of the so-called New World began in Hispaniolo in 1492, the population density of that island was about the same as that of Portugal, around 33 and 38 inhabitants per square mile, respectively. But the society of the islands was not highly stratified. Speaking of the Indians of the West Indies, See what's going on here? 
Now, this crazy story they told us when we was in school, right? They said, well, uh, Christopher Columbus thought he was going to India, so he saw the people and called them all Indians. When that was all fucking cap, his expedition was funded by uh, Queen Isabella and King Ferdinand, who purposely told this nigga to go to the Americas. It wasn't no, he discovered some shit. He was on his way here because they was trying to find gold. And they were trying to find a fountain of youth, which he thought was in the city of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was in a city in Peru, Cusco, Peru. That was the original Jerusalem they were referring to in the Bible. Now, the Garden of Eden is the Americas. Do you understand? The whole damn book was talking about this land, the holy land, the true holy land here. Not somewhere in the Middle East. That's all cat. But when they referred to people as Indians, they were talking about the indigo people. The people of many shades. Right? So, in this book, they're referring to the Indians of the West Indies. Now, all of our people from the Caribbean and the islands, they have the West Indian Day Parade. But they don't say they're Indians. But they're telling you the Indians in the West Indies. So, they're telling you, in the end, you were the Indian. They later classified us as Negroes, Blacks, and Coloreds. So, all of these Indian wars, they were fighting indigenous, melanated people with dark skin. A lot of the Indian depictions we saw in the Hollywood movies, these were white actors pretending to be so-called Indians. So we would be fixated on this image, and the minute you say Indian, you think of a pale-skinned person with straight hair with feathers in their head. All that shit is cat. The mixed Mongolian tribes of later today that you see on these Indian reservations, they got casinos and many of them are alcoholics and shit. These are the later tribes that were not the indigenous people of the land. The oldest uh, skeleton they found was Lucy. But they found a skeleton 10,000 years older than Lucy. That of a Negro woman called Naya. <laughs> that predates all of these so-called pale-skinned Indians on the land. They couldn't be the original people. But they were the so-called five civilized tribes that made treaties with this American government to wipe out the true identity of the real Indians. But let's get back to this. I don't play with the scholarship, B. Let's get back to this. But the society of the islands was not highly stratified. Speaking of the Indians of the West Indies, the Indians of the West Indies, Indians on all the islands, so which proves that they were the indigenous people and they weren't slaves dropped off on slave ships from Africa. That Middle Passage shit was all cat. Let's be clear here. I'm not saying the people weren't enslaved. I'm not saying they didn't take some people from Africa. A majority of the people were already here on the land. Big facts. But again, the Mississippi River connects to the Nile River. We've been doing trade back and forth from continent to continent for thousands of years. So I'm not separating this from family, but I'm telling you they told you a lie. Facts over feelings. Speaking of the Indians of the West Indies, La Casa said they are very poor folk, which possess little. They are accustomed to, they are accustomed to, to have no more store than they ordinarily have need of, and that they such and that, that such as they get with little travail, labor. He elaborated with notions of the people's diet, apparel, and shelter. There was no distinct native social stratum that could act as a buffer between the laboring people and the Spanish conquerors in the administrations of a normal, orderly colony. Hence, the encomedia system whereby the king of Spain commanded the natives to the care of the individual Spanish colonists as laborers was conducted 
and an irregular, uncontrolled, and highly exploitative, exploitive form. Spaniards raided Indian communities, took captive, and took captives and ordered to prevent escape or to ensure the full measure of work, practice large-scale enslavement. So they're talking about they enslaved these so-called Indians on these islands. Now look at all our people from the Caribbean that call themselves West Indians. <laughs> We're talking about the same people. Do you understand? So they enslaved many of us and later reclassified you as Indians, then later reclassified you as Africans. Because <laughs> if you came from out of the colonies, you came from another country. I could say, you, yeah, I, I took these my niggas from Africa. But here in the original colony in Virginia, they only speak of some 20-odd Negroes that came from a Dutch ship, Dutch ship called the White Lion from Africa. No other millions of niggas from Africa. Do you understand? We're going to get into that a little later. You want to hide something from these niggas, you put it in a book. Big facts. See, they put you to sleep with all these slave movies so you would never really investigate your true story. And once you did this reparations conversation, they owe you the entire fucking continent. How about that? How about cut a check? How about get your ass off my land? They, they don't want to have that conversation because it's so vast. Let's get into it. Spaniards raided. So look, when they talk about the Spaniards, these are descendants of Hispaniola. They're not the original Spanish. Do you understand? Because Spain was called Al-Andalus, ruled by the Moors for 800 years. And we spoke many languages. Many of them, uh, one, one of many was Moorish Latin, Moorish Latin, which you would call a form of Spanish and a form of Latin today. You notice that all of the law books are written in Latin, but nobody speaks Latin today. It's an outlaw language. They stole your language. They stole your culture. They stole your name. So to hide that you spoke Moorish Latin, they outlawed the language you spoke, which was Moorish Latin. Do you understand? But all the law books, so the people that wrote the original laws had to be Moors because all the law books are written in Latin. This is how they hide the people. They keep changing your name. The only people in history whose names keep changing are so-called Negroes, Blacks, and Colors. I wonder why. Because you're the original landlords of these continents. Remember that some niggas said he discovered and it was already people here. So the people they enslaved were the so-called Indians, which were us. Later changed to some other shit. That's why they had Native American and they had American Indian. They had the, the, the Museum of Natural History in New York City. And they had a so-called Indian woman on display. And she had extensions in her hair. Wait a minute. She had ancient, ancient weave in her hair? Well, how many sisters you see wearing ancient weave today? Do you see white women wearing weave? Do you see any Native American so-called pale-faced women wearing weave? No, you see sisters wearing weave. They were wearing that shit for thousands of years. It was, you know, description, a uh, decorative description. So now, I say that to say this. They keep hiding the identity of the indigenous people. And they make you think that they killed off this large population of Indians when all they did was rename us. Let's continue. Spaniards raided Indian communities, took captives, and in order to prevent escape or to ensure the full measure of work, practiced large-scale enslavement. 
The native population did not willingly submit to such brutal administration. In Hispaniola, the uh, Magana people rose in revolt after the treacherous Spanish killing of the captive Magana chief Canobo. In 1511, in Puerto Rico, the Borenos, right, Borenos, we talk about our people, the Tainos, all of these are indigenous people that they called Indians too. See? But they separate you, got you thinking you're Spanish, you're Puerto Rican, and all this when the, 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 the Hispanics were the people who raided Spain from Hispaniola. They're not the true Spanish. They mixed with the indigenous people and created something new. Let's go on. In, 15, in 1511 in Puerto Rico, the Borenos, under the leadership of Kaku, named uh, Gayabana, mounted a major rebellion against the imposition of the Spanish system of forced labor. So the Puerto Ricans were fighting the Spanish because the Spanish weren't really the Spanish. Pay attention. A second uh, Bo uh, Boreno uprising was led by another Kaku, Homoko. Four years later, other Borenos, other Botiricanes, uh, Possibly one-third of the population sought refuge in remote mountain areas or fled by boat to other islands. See, they talk about all the indigenous people that mixed and went to different places. Now, where does Puerto Rico get, to get its name from? Puerto Rico translates to rich port. When these poor white settlers showed up or poor white colonizers showed up, they seen the women, beautiful women, with gold up to their motherfucking necks. And they said, this is a rich port, Puerto Rico. Do you understand? Let's continue. Haiti, Hispaniolo, and Santo Domingo in Cuba. The Spanish advantage of overwhelming military strength exerted without restraint. In the context of the even more devastating toll of epidemic European diseases resulted in almost complete extermination of the native population. They're talking about indigenous people, Puerto Ricans. So-called Negroes, all, all the same motherfucking people. All these melanated people with dark skin, right? Of many shades. That's why they called us all Indians. The indigo people, the people of many shades that didn't have pale skin. They just said, oh my God, these motherfuckers in all different colors. We, but, but people aren't crayons. So the crazy part about this, they keep showing you, you know, in all of these uh, fake movies, on history that you know the white man came here and just wiped out all the indians and they killed the buffalo and all yo these dirty whites came here and killed many of the people because they spread diseases that none of the, the indigenous people on the continent had they like what the fuck is this these niggas brought smallpox and all kind of shit because remember they were filthy even the kings and queens of england many of them believed in washing their ass once a month once a month, they said it was against God to wash your ass. So they would have cakes of dirt on them. Many of them looked like they had dark skin because they didn't wash. Their skin was so damn dingy and dirty. This is real shit. We, we cleaned up. Remember the, the uh, Renaissance period, right? We, the Moors. We brought bathhouses to England because they weren't washing their asses. We had outhouses. Before, they used to throw their shit in the street. They would shit in a bucket and throw it into the street. We created irrigation systems. We created the sewage systems and all that. Thousands of years ago, the Moors brought that shit to Europe. Civilized them. And they got you thinking they civilized these niggas in Africa that was running around with grass, grass, grass skirts and huts and shit like that. 
when we were the indigenous people here that had running water. We had uh, lit up cities and all kind of shit. This is Atlantis we're talking about. Atlantis is a part of America. Overstand this. You see when they show you the big map of Pangea, Pangea with all the continents were connected? Well, where are the jigsaw pieces that fell out of place? That's the city of Atlantis that sunk. Big facts. We gonna continue on. We, we got some more powerful shit in part two. This is just part one. We're gonna get the part two of this because I want you guys to take a break. You know, roll you up something, pull you up something, do what you gotta do. Come on back. You know, I know these uh, podcast builds are extensive, but we gotta get off of the TikTok uh, reality they have everybody in, right? Because TikTok got everybody scrolling with one minute clips and you can't talk to a person longer than a fucking minute because they're training your brain. They're rewiring your neurons to where you have the attention span of a fucking goldfish. Five to six seconds. And that's what they're doing to the population to extremely dumb us down. But salute to the thousands and thousands of people subscribed to the podcast that can listen to an hour build, a two hour build. I used to do five, six hour videos on Facebook till they kick me off, right? I, I go in on the scholarship. Like I'm not dealing with this microwave minute fact bullshit that people are sharing on TikTok. That's not history. That's not research. I'm encouraging the people to crack open these books because if you don't, in the next five years, you're going to be dumped down. All you're going to have is thumbs in the next five years. You're just going to be scrolling your whole fucking life. They're dumbing the people down. This is an experiment. Big facts. But let's get into it. Social control, Mexican, Mexico and Peru. At the time of the Spanish invasion in 1519, the population of central Mexico, an area of about 200,000 square miles, was an estimated 13.9 million, represented a, densely, a density of almost 70 people per square mile. Of this population, 2.5 million concentrated more than 350 per square mile. We're talking about all indigenous people. Lived in the 8,000 square mile area and in near the basin of Mexico. Right? The Tino uh, Chilean, the Tino Chilean Mexico City in the heart of this area had a population of 300,000. The invaders found already in place an elaborate system of levy providing products of all kinds, slaves and services for their three capitals of the so-called Aztec Empire. Now, when they're talking about the Aztec, the Incas, they're talking about Moors. All melanated people. You ever seen those big ass heads they show you in Mexico? Big lips and broad noses. These are melanated people. Dark skin. But they got you thinking that these so-called Mexicans all had pale skin. We're talking about the Hispanics from Hispaniolo that invaded Mexico. Go to them, go to them indigenous cities in Mexico. You're gonna see people with dark skin. Many people darker skinned than you, but they're not called Negroes. This was a term later classified to separate the people. Oh, these Negroes from Africa. So when you see people with the same skin in, in Mexico, you think they, they are different people. Nope. That's how you steal the land from the people. You just rename all of them. Remember, California was a part of Mexico. The Spanish Empire, which was called Al Andalus, which was the Moorish Empire. Do you understand? When they kicked all the inhabitants from Spain after they defeated the Moors in 1492, what happened? Columbus comes over here in 1492, the same damn time, and he describes the people as the same Moorish people in Spain? Because the Spanish empires, we're talking about Florida, we're talking about these states that weren't a part of the colonies. 
they were a part of the Moorish Empire. Do you understand? Each state is its own country. See, if you're not looking at the older maps, you're going to look at this stuff as today. And you're going to look at this shit as the states. When all of the 50 states weren't a part of the United States. Remember the Louisiana Purchase? Half of the damn country wasn't a part of the Union. So how was all of these people in these free lands slaves for 400 years? It's all cap. They just blanketed the whole damn story and got you thinking everybody with dark skin was a slave. Prisoner of war is two different things. If I take over your land and it's free people there, all I got to do is say you a slave. Many of the people that were free, they were kidnapped. Forced into indentured servitude contracts that would later become chattel slavery. Contracts that never ended. We all got to check our history and they damn sure owe us more than that 40 acres. More than that reparations check. They owe you the fucking continent, B. Add me up. So we talking about the Aztecs, the Incas, and the Mayans. They're all Moorish people. They got you thinking that all of these are separate empires. When these empires were the Americas. Tupac Amaru, one of the last Incan kings. And who named themselves Tupac Amaru? The hip-hop artist of all time. One of the greatest hip-hop artists of all time, his name was Tupac Amaru, named after the Incan King. Why did his mom, Afeni Shakur, one of the leaders of the Black Panthers, why did she name her son Tupac Amaru after the last Moorish emperor of the Moorish Empire? Because she knew of his history. And that's why she was a threat, because the download she gave her son. See, after Pac got off of the, I'm going to be a thug and all this shit, he was trying to unify our people. And he knew the music could do it. And that's why they got rid of bro. Big facts. Do your research on that. Getting back to it. And a similar system in large cities outside the Aztec territory. In each case, it was organized to support its central government ruling group. Originally a three-layered stratum. The ruling group came to be designated by the Spanish under the general name of Concus. Concus. The Spanish were able to adapt this pre-existing form of social organization to extort labor and tribute from the Indians, even in the most uh, rapacious manner, using Indian office holders at the subordinate levels of the hierarchy of the enforcement of Spanish rules. In the opinion of the well-known historian of colonial Mexico, Charles, uh, Mexico, Charles Gibson, it was the power and prestige of the pre-Spanish states and their continuing traditions of popular subservience that made it possible for the Spaniards to exact labor and tribute with little opposition. When they talk about tribute, they talk about ransom. They talk about extortion money. Summarizing Gibson, uh, summarizing Gibson writes that in both Mexico and Peru, Spanish Spaniards took charge of the established society, substituting themselves for the rulers that had disposed, they had disposed or killed. See, they killed the emperors, they killed the kings and all these indigenous people in these areas and put themselves in the place of it. So that's why they got you thinking all of these ancient Mexicans had pale skin. They whitewashed the continent. So they would separate the people from each other. See what's going on. And, and shit, look at, look at that, what plays out today in the jails. Some of the most racism, the most uh, biggest system of racism takes place in the prisons of America. Where there's only three gangs. 
black, white, and brown. You got the Mexicans and everybody from Mexico. They're one group of people. You get fucking killed in jail for just chopping it up with a brother that's Mexican. They can't even speak to you. You got to stay with your own. The blacks stay with the blacks. The whites stay with the whites. And the Mexicans stay with the Mexicans. But if the Mexicans and the blacks got together, who would be the minority? The pale skin in all the prisons. See, they got to keep that racism going. If we all knew we were indigenous people of this damn land and they were colonizing us all, we would see who the true op is. They can't have that. So they practice this in both places. Man, this is powerful. We're going to we're going to keep it going, guys. We're going to keep it going. So so when you dig up a lot of this history and you see a lot of these uh pyramids in Mexico. Can you show me some Mexicans that can build pyramids of today? I guarantee you they can't. Why is it that we got pyramids in America older than the ones in Egypt and Africa? Because the same people built them. Do you understand? Us, the melanated people of these continents. They don't talk about the pyramids in Mississippi. The, 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 the pyramids in Chicago. They don't talk about this. Why do they have cities uh, from Egypt here in America? Cairo. They call it a part of Chicago, Little Egypt. And, and they found King Tut's uh, tomb over there by the Grand Canyon. This is in the Americas. Why do they hide this history? Because then you would understand that the Egypt over there in Africa is like the new Egypt. And the old one is here in America. And they all came to the Americas. Remember the gold rush? They was trying to find the gold from the empires. The Moorish empires. How do we find the gold? We got to change the name of the Moorish people. We say they all disappeared off the face of the earth. Look up a black Amor. You're going to see they look just like you. Oh, he looks like a so-called Negro. They changed your name. Black Amor. They cut off more and just start to call you black. And you still can't figure it out. But you keep thinking that I'm putting you in a club when I say that you're a more. You're a Hebrew. You're a Christian. You're all of this. You're the original all of it. Do you understand? And they keep us fighting for fragments, pieces of our one history. Because it's all together. All the religious books were broken into fragments. To keep the people fighting amongst each other. And they killed off, just like they said, they killed off the, the kings and the emperors of, of those empires to steal the empires. They also killed off the people of the times. They killed off the Gnostics. The Gnostics were the knowers that knew all of the religious books were of an esoteric teaching. So we kill them niggas off and then we control the religions and we make everyone take the stories literally. And we tell you that we those religious people and you got to worship us. And that's how you combine church and state. And that's how you rule the people. Vidi Vedi Vici, right? The Roman church. In this sign we conquer. They took the cross. The cross had nothing to do with Jesus nailed to a cross. The cross represents the four cardinal points of the earth. The four cardinal points of the earth. North, south, east, west. The four elements. Earth, air, water, fire. Do you understand? This is old ancient teachings. The cross symbol is predates the Roman church. The Coptic church is... 10 damn centuries older than the Roman church and the Coptic church is ran by melanated people this is what they don't want you to know right all them books belong to us but you got to read them with your third eye high so when we get back on part two we're going to take a break the invention of the white race volume two the origin of racial oppression in Anglo-America by Theodore W. Allen 
This is the Third Eye High Podcast. We deal with a higher consciousness of a flyer culture. When we get back, part two. Salute. Welcome back, welcome back. Let's get into it, guys. Part two, the book report series. Part two of The Invention of the White Race, volume two, The Origin of Racial Oppression in Anglo-America by Theodore W. Allen. Let's get into it, guys. The English, buying and selling of Indian captives, right? And we're talking about all of this as one and the same people, right? One and the same people. In general, however, the anglo Americans throughout the continent, the continental colonies, drew on the ancient principle that victors, uh, victors in just wars who spared the lives of heathens, captives thereby gained the right to hold them as slaves. Do you see what's going on? This is why I keep saying all of our ancestors, none of them were slaves. Slave comes from the term of the Slavs. We're talking about Russian people that were enslaved, the Slavics. Now, prisoners of war. This is what they're saying. In general, however, the Anglo-Americans throughout the continental colonies drew on the ancient principle. This is their ancient principle, right? All of our ancestors were prisoners of war. They drew on the ancient principle that the victors in just wars who spared the lives of the heathens, captives, thereby gained the right to hold them as slaves prisoners of war, which Europeans used to justify the forced transportation of Africans to perpetual servitude in the Americas. Now pay attention, because they mentioned in this African shit interchangeably, but there was only 20 recorded Africans that came to the colony in Virginia. Where's the ships with millions of Africans? That shit is all made up. They enslaved the people that were already indigenous to the land. They changed their identity. The Virginia Assembly gave this principle the force of law regarding Indians during Bacon's Rebellion in 1676. It was uh, reasserted in 1677, following the defeat of Bacon's Rebellion and subsequently in 1679, 1682, 1711, and 1722. Enslavement of Indian captives, children and women, as well as men, was general in Massachusetts for the Paraquat War. The Paraquat War, they were fighting melanated people. So they got you thinking these are pale-faced Indians. Not so. Against, after King Philip's War of 1675 to 76 in North Carolina, first was Albemarle uh, in 1691. The Anglo-Americans made direct war on Indians and enslaved the captives. Now remember, in order to have your colonies, they had to wipe out the people that was on the land of these said colonies, all indigenous people. So why would I kill them off when I can just make them prisoners of war, reclassify their names and say I took them from Africa? See what's going on? But the chief's uh, means of securing Indian bond laborers was by trade with Indian tribes. So you're talking about other tribes that enslaved their own people, basically sold them to these so-called white men. This was taking place. Indian tribes in the course of which captives of 
intertribal warfare. So keep in mind, when you keep saying, well, they enslaved their own people, you had Indian tribes, indigenous melanated people that were warring with other tribes. Now, we are by nature territorial people. How does that play out today? Look at how niggas act in the projects. Yo, don't come around my hood, right? It's my block. This, you don't even own the projects, but you're territorial. You'll go to war with a nigga across the street from your project. That's innate in your DNA. We were territorial because we had tribes, different tribes. So all of the people didn't get along per se. They would break bread with each other, but they would have their tribal differences. And the pale skinned people peeped this, how we could use petty differences to get the tribes fighting amongst themselves and we can enslave them all without having to go to war with all of them together. They were playing chess. Goes on to say, Indian tribes in the course of which captives of inter-tribal warfare, along with deer skins and beaver pelts, were exchanged for English commodities, such as garments, mirrors, and rum, right? Many of the Indians, they got drunk and they was buying liquor and shit. That's how they end up signing treaties that they didn't understand. And they were trading for guns and all kind of shit, right? For the English commodities, uh, such as firearms and ammunition, metal tools and containers, woven fabrics and garments, mirrors and rum. It was English policy to foment just wars between tribes for the particular purpose of securing Indian captives as chattel bond laborers. We want to enslave those people. So let's create strife among the tribes and have them warring with each other. And whoever wars with each other, whoever the victor is, they hold the other losers as captives of prisoners of war, and now we could be selling them into slavery. And that's how we end up slowly enslaving them. And the ones we made friends with, we would trade with them and, you know, give them things that they wanted, but we would put diseases on some of the shit we traded with. Niggas had smallpox, so they would put smallpox in some of the garments they traded with the people. So they would wipe out the tribe that end up doing business with them. So they get the tribe that lost, they would become their captives, and the ones that won, they would spread disease to them, so they would kill them both off simultaneously. Two birds with one stone. These pale-skinned niggas was paying chess. Pay attention. As tribes became increasingly dependent upon the English for trade goods, some out of narrow considerations of tribal interests made war on other tribes in order to maintain their trade with the English. See? We got something you want. So we're going to use you against your own people. They still do that today. Nash states for a certainty that the number of Indians enslaved reached into tens of thousands in the half century after Carolina was settled by Europeans. North Carolina. See what's going on? So this is how they were getting their colonies. But they weren't getting people from Africa. They were enslaving the melanated people that looked just like niggas from Africa. And you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. See? Because remember, you're going to find dark skin on all seven of the continents. Because you're indigenous to the planet. You're the first man and woman, right? The first children of God. Out of dark comes the light. The abandonment of native sources of plantation bond labor. Yet the fantasy of the Anglo-American based on Indian drudgery and slavery was not to be realized. Why not? The standard reference work in the fields is still Almond Wheeler's Lauber's Indian Slavery in Colonial Times within the present limits of the United States, published more than 80 years ago. Lauber presents four 
uh, four theses to explain. The decline of Indian slavery, first depopulation caused by a combination of European diseases, a declining Indian birth rate, and intersign wars in considerable decree formated by the English interested in trading for the captives whom they would then use in commercial transactions, principally with other English colonies, most often those in the West Indies. Second, Indians disappeared as a result of the amalgamation of red and black slaves. See what's going on? So they're talking of these mixing of these different tribes that they later would classify as a new group of people. That's how they wipe out one particular tribe. They just stop calling you a member of that tribe. Now remember later, they had something called the $5 Indian, where many of these poor whites from England could amalgamate into a, a, an Indian tribe. And they would get, you know, later uh, the spoils of war. They would get these uh, land grants. They would get, uh, you know, these reservations and all that. And it was something called a $5 premium that you would pay to become a member of these tribes. But you weren't an Indian by se, per se. You were just an Indian on paper. It's like you were white on paper. The Naturalization Act of 1790. These niggas became white by, by way of legislation. Nothing to do with skin color. Continuing on. Third, Indians were unfitted for servitude, being unable to endure sustained labor and capable of developing to a civilized social level and bred and reared to be opposed to all restraint by an exterior force. Fourth, it kept in the capturing colony Indian bonded laborers were possibly even more likely than other bond laborers to run away because of the Indians' hope of returning to their own people. Now keep in mind, we're talking about these indigenous people that they classified as blacks later. You would run away to a land that was free because you knew the land. You were always trying to get free because you knew that you were kidnapped as a prisoner of war. Right? You, you wasn't thrown on no goddamn ship. You knew you was taken from one county to the next and your name was changed. But you never got on no damn ship because they shipped you from one colony to the next doesn't mean you got on the actual ship. This was all propaganda pushed through these slave books and these slave movies. That's why Hollywood spends all this money to keep telling you the slave story. They don't want to talk about the reparations conversation, but they just keep making another goddamn slave movie. 2023, they had one starring Will Smith. Another nigga perpetrating the fucking lie to keep his bag. Because he want to still eat the scraps from under the table. Phil nigga, house nigga. Either way, you not a nigga. You was always free. You got to free your mind to actually get free. We're going to bounce around, guys. We're going to bounce around. Now, this is key, right? I got to qualify this particular portion here, right? The unfitness sour grapes rationale. Some historians whose approach to the subject is informed within the spirit of civil rights movement and whose citations of Lauber have been uh, quite appropriate, have uh, perhaps, uh, though it redundant, to take note of the white supremacist assumptions encountered in a work conceived in Rayford W. Logan called The Nadir of the Struggle of Civil Rights in the United States. One latter-day scholar even endorses the Lauber view of this issue, despite the racist implications of arguments about the relative adaptability of one people over another to tropical labor. In my view, 
if being constitutionally unfitted for servitude could explain the decline of slavery. Then it should have led to the extinction of bond servitude in such places as the following. Pay attention to these numbers. Virginia, where by four or five early de uh, decades, not only one in five of the English chattel laborers, white slaves, survived the period of indentured servitude. So a lot of these white slaves died during the term of their contract. Governor William Berkeley, in reply to queries of the Lords of Trade and Plantations in 1617, reference, Santa Domingo, where the average French engaged or African bond laborer survived only three years. Santa Domingo. These people are the island of Santa Domingo. They were indigenous people. But they told you that these were French Africans. See what's going on here? So, so they were, were, they, were they French niggas from Africa? Or, or, or did the French invade this island and these people had dark skin and they just called them niggas from Africa? Right. That's how they made you non-descendable of the land and made you a foreigner in your own land. What did Martin Luther King say? The Negro finds himself in exile in his own land, kicked out of his own land. He's talking about America. He didn't say Africa. See what's going on? See, King and, and Malcolm X both came to the same conclusion. They stole the land from the indigenous people here, and we're those indigenous people. Ab Ab Aborigines, right? The Aborigine. There was a governor that he got ousted by the Republicans because he saw some so-called Negroes in, in one of the Indian casinos. He said, look at those Aborigines. The paper got, got reprimanded for even printing the word. What the fuck is Aborigine? Aboriginal people, the indigenous people of the land, the first people. So he was referring to black people as the indigenous people of the land. And he was calling them Indians. This was a congressman. Excuse me, a governor. But here nor there. See, every every once in a while, they're going to slip and tell a truth. But if you ain't listening right, you ain't going to know what you're listening for. Barbados, where in 1680, an annual supply of 5,000 African laborers were required to maintain a Negro population of 40,000. Do you see how they say African and then they say Negro as if it's two different people? But remember... The people in Barbados were the so-called Indians, the West Indians, dark-skinned people. So in order to take over the island of Barbados, just say we, we ship these niggas from Africa and drop them off there when you were already on the land. Continuing on, Negro University reprint in 1969, where from 1680 to 1800s, hundreds of thousands of African bond laborers arrived, but the population increased by less than 10,000. The population of Barbados. Now they had white slaves in Barbados working the sugar plantations, as well as so-called black slaves. But remember, these were prisoners of war because remember these West Indians, these dark-skinned Indians on the island of Barbados were be were becoming prisoners of war. So in order to separate the people from the land, I just say these are my slaves from Africa, opposed to my prisoners of war when I warred for the land to make this my colony. You understand the connection? Now listen to this last part here, because it's going to bring it home what I just said. The British West Indies as a whole between 1700 and 1780 absorbed about 850,000 African bond laborers. Yet the Negro population increased only 350,000. So why are they saying 
one population of Negroes and then one population of Africans. But don't they call you an African-American Negro? <laughs> you see how these three different names is all talking about the same fucking group of people that were the original inhabitants of the particular land that they wanted to use for their location of their colony? So in order to take over that land, I got to enslave the people of the land. And how do I enslave them? I go to war with them. And what did they say? Those that win the spoils of war, those people that lose the war become your captives, i.e. your prisoners of war, i.e. your slaves. So if they're my property now, I could rename them. I could say they came from motherfucking Zoolander. You know what I'm saying? They came from Kazakhstan. I could say whatever. How could you prove it? And this is what's happening. They were kidnapping a lot of the indigenous people that were free in America. And they would just say, yeah, that's that's my nigga that came off the ship from Africa. Nowhere Africa. Because it's 52 nations in Africa and you still don't know in 2023 which nation they took, from, took you from. Why don't you know? Because the lie has already been told. And you never investigated the lie, you just kept spreading it. I'll read that part again. The British West Indies as a whole, which between 16, uh, 1700 and 1780, absorbed about 850,000 Africans, bond laborers. Yet the Negro population increased only by 350,000. And this is from Red, White, and Black, Gary B. Nash's book, Inglewood Cliffs, New Jersey, 1974, page 178. Reference. All right? Because all we do is give receipts. Mexico and Peru were in the first centuries after the beginning of the Spanish rule, the reparmento uh, and Mita recruitment by the Caucus contributed to so heavy to the reduction of the Mexican and Peruvian native population. See what's going on? They would whitewash the people there. So now you see a lot of people in Peru, they're very light. But if you go to some of those ancient cities, you gonna see people with very dark skin. They had to hide the melanated population so you wouldn't see that they're one and the same. Indigenous inhabitants. Of all the lands, have very dark skin. And they ain't from Africa. Interesting. Let's bounce around, guys. We are not done. We are not done. We are, we are we just digging in, you know, a little bit more of this. But I don't want to give up all of the book, but I damn sure will give up a nice portion because I want you to wrap your head around what really happened here. The inherent abevolence of the buffer role. The buffer tribes had a dual role in the English colonial system of social control. They served as a shield for the English against hostile tribes, including those linked to the French and Spanish colonial rivals. Prior to 1715, South Carolina colonial policy sought to consolidate a double uh, bulwark of Indian allies in the zone of the Sahana, of the Savannah and the Albamida River. Now we're all talking about melanated indigenous people that they would classify as these different Indian tribes, all so-called Negroes, Blacks, and Coloreds, Cherokee Indians, and all this. So they would basically the five civilized tribes. So they would raise some tribes over the other to have them in envy of each other. So they would war it out with each other. And the winning tribe would enslave the losing tribe, sell them into slavery. And that's how many of our people got sold into slavery. But they didn't come from no ship from Africa. They were indigenous to the Americas. Just reclassified as a different people. The threat was more acute by the constant efforts of the Spanish in Florida 
and the French in Louisiana. See, remember, uh, France was fighting for that territory. That's why many people in Louisiana speak Creole and all this, and they speak French because the French were the original colonizers there. But many of the people in Louisiana were free people. They weren't a part of this slavery story. But we all got grouped in by way of the census recordings. All you niggas is black from Africa. And we all bit down on that story. Look at this part. French and Louisiana to encourage resistance and to flight from the English colonies. In 1716 and for some years thereafter, the Yamasees and some Creeks. The Creek Indians and the Yamasees are also called black people. Let's do the real research. Because a lot of those people claiming to be the Yamasees that got pale skin, they paid the $5 premium to perpetrate themselves off as those so-called Indians. Some were mixed, some were mixed in, but many were frauds. Yamasees and some Creeks, as well as the Negroes of, as, as well as a number of Negroes, deserted English Carolina for Spanish Florida. Remember? Spanish Florida was part of the Moorish Empire. A lot of those Indians, the Creek Indians and the Seminole Indians, they had locks in their hair. Show me some Indians of today with pale skin that got locks. Or were they classified as Negroes, Blacks, and Colors with locks? Gold in their mouth just like today. Just like the people in Florida today. Salute. They were talking about you. The Seminole Wars and all that. They were fighting indigenous people. Melanated people with dark skin. But they weren't classified as Negroes, Blacks, and Colors. So we keep thinking that these wars were isolated. They had nothing to do with our people. They were warring for our empires. Continuing on. From the Yamasees and the Negroes carried on raids against the English, spreading the word to South Carolina Indians, dark-skinned people, and Negroes that freedom was theirs for the having in Florida. La Florida, land of flowers. When the English in Florida over there by Granada was the last stronghold of the Moors i.e. indigenous melanated people with dark skin that would later be reclassified as Negroes, Blacks, and Colors. When the English commanded by General uh, Oglethorpe invaded Spanish Florida in 1740 and 42, they were opposed there by joint forces of Indians, Negroes, and Spanish. All the same fucking people. Do you see what's going on here? They separated us into different groups so they could divide and conquer. As time went on, Indian people grew less inclined to engage into internecine wars, simple to provide, simply to provide slaves for the trade and exploitation of English planters, who were intruding on villages of friendly and hostile Indians alike. This trade matured into the Great Indian Revolt in 1715. So they keep saying all through history, how was we slaves for 400 years and we didn't revolt? And this, all these wars and these revolts through the time were our fucking people fighting them. And they got you thinking they was fighting Indians, the red man, and this. you was all the mans. Because the indigo people, the people of many shades, everyone that didn't have pale skin, that's who they were fighting against. All indigenous people. Man, this is powerful shit. The Yamasees War, which marked the beginning of the irreversible discontinuation of the enslavement of Indians in South Carolina, the province where 
it would it had been more extensively practiced. Now keep in mind, if I enslave one tribe, right? Let's say two uh tribes, all dark skinned, they're fighting against each other. The the tribe that wins enslaves the other one, sells them into slavery. So now they lose their title, they lose their name, and then they have children, and then their children are sold into these indentured servitude contracts. Never knowing about them being tied to this particular tribe. Do you see what's going on? And then I just keep telling you, I took you from Africa. And then you tell your children you came from Africa. And then you see how you separate the Indians from the Negroes, which were one damn people, and now they become two people. See what's going on? And they'll never uh, share a commonality because they keep thinking that they're two different people. And they won't see that they were separated and dominated. Used against each other as pawns. Man, this is some powerful shit, B. Indian labor and the invention of the white race. If not by compulsion, if not as drudges for the English colonists of every class, what were the possibilities of voluntarily en enlistment of Indians in the work of the colony? Alongside the surplus Englishmen and women who were brought to Anglo-America. So you got these Indian slaves, these Negro slaves, one and the same, and these white slaves, all being enslaved by one ruling class. Why haven't they told you this in history? Why haven't they made a movie on it? Because the whole system would collapse. They can't have that. In the period ending in 1622, there were instances of Indians who did work voluntarily within the Virginia colony. In 1707, Robin, an Indian shoemaker, was granted leave to practice his trade among the English colonists, wherever he shall find encouragement. But in general, the Indians found their tribal life more comfortable and better supplied than the life offered by the English community. So sore beset with, with starvation and disease. The English laboring people after 1622 worked as bond laborers. Now we talk about bond laborers, we're talking about indentured servants. People that were contracted for an extensive period of time and they were supposed to be compensated during the end of their duration of said contract. Compensated freedom dues, comp uh, compensated with acreages of land. Many of this didn't happen. And it would only happen to certain classes, i.e. this invention of this white race, where they propped them up to become property owners and everyone else would be landless, even those that had their lands confiscated, i.e. the indigenous people of the Americas that were later classified as Negroes, Blacks, and Colors from Africa. Make you homeless in your own land. The English, uh, laboring after 1622, worked as, la as bond laborers for terms, which most of them did not survive. For debts they should not have, should not have had to owe for the trip to America. The Indians, as natives of the country, could not be bound by any such transportation charges. It was hardly to be expected that Indians would submit voluntarily to the oppressive life endured by the English bond laborers, white slaves. Nor would the English employers be willing to spend more for Indian laborers than they had to spend for English laborers in such plentiful supply. Was there another way? Despite the general inaccessibility of Indians as plantation laborers and the continual displacement of the tribal settlements, could they not as groups or individuals still have abandoned the Indian way of life for the English way? 
Although by the greater number of the European immigrants arriving in southern colonies came as bond laborers. They were some who were able to make the trip from Europe at their own expense and who began their lives in Anglo-America as independent farmers or artisans. See, all the ways of, of covering it up that they were white slaves. They came up with these fancy ass names. They were settlers. They settled their asses down and became white slaves. Yeah, right, my nigga, big cat. Why, may, why might not Indians have opted for the same sort of enterprise within the colony? The English homeland itself was mainly a nation of immigrants, Saxons, Anglos, uh, Danes, Normans, Flemings, and consolidating with the ancient Angles, Celts, and Scots. True, the Indian tribal lands were being taken away. But might not the inducements for individual Indians entering into the Anglo-American common economic life was well outweighed, well outweighed the, dis, uh, the, dis, uh, the descending factors just as it did for some Scot-Irish, for example. Such inducements included credit from capitalists, land speculators, and freedom from taxes for as much as 10 years. With access to English-made iron implements and utensils and other manufactured goods and, and supplies, the prospects might have persuaded enterprising Indians to take up the life of the free yeoman, farmer, or artisan. Evidence of the appeal of the Anglo-American commodity culture would become woeful, evident in its ability to dissolve Indian society. So what they're saying, many of these so-called Indian tribes would adopt the way of the Englishmen. They would adopt their way of the oppression. They would abandon their tribal identity and they would blend in with the said whites. And many of them were later classified as whites. They would get privileged for pushing the line. I.E. reservations. <laughs> Big facts. Let's bounce around. Let's bounce around. Listen to this part. This avenue to use the labor of the Indian was never taken. The policy of special inducement to independent farmers referred to above was not developed until the early 18th century. The immigrants to whom this opportunity was open were counted upon to provide a barrier against external dangers from French and hostile Indian attacks and against the establishment of maroon centers of freedom and resistance by African-American bond laborers in the Allegheny Mountains. They're talking about the Maroons, the Moors, all the same damn people. Anybody that was revolting against their system, they classifies you as a rebel. By this time, by historical transformation, which is the central concern of this volume, the bourgeoisie had drawn the color line between freedom and slavery and established white supremacy as Article I of the Anglo-American Constitution. When European Americans as whites were thereafter to be entitled to the full rights of the free citizen, Indians being by definition not white. See what's going on? They called everybody Indians that wasn't classified as the white race that they created. Remember I said the Indians referred to the indigo people, the people of many shades. So everyone that was today that would be classified as people of color, they called you niggas Indians. So they were warring with everyone else of a melanated hue. See what's going on? Indians, by definition, not white. The presence within the colony of free independent Indian farmers or tenants 
would have been would have been a constitutionally intolerable anomaly. The fate of the Indians under the principle of racial slavery and white supremacy was thus in the end controlled by twin parameters, non-enslavability, non-assimilability. These parameters would eventually govern Anglo-American Indian policy throughout the continental colonies. Now, when they refer to the Indian Removal Act, that later became the civil rights situation. Because the Indian Removal Act, once they removed us from our lands that belonged to us tribally, they renamed us, and now we were homeless. And now we start fighting for this civil rights shit and all this other stuff. But remember, what Martin Luther King said, I feel as though I integrated my people into a burning house. Because when he did all the marching and the protesting, and the reward of that was the Civil Rights Bill of 1964. He said, wait a minute, these niggas duped us. They never honored the Civil Rights Bill of 1868. More than a fucking hundred years before. See what's going on? The land of the forked tongue. They never honored any of the treaties they made with our Indian tribes. All the same fucking people. Never honored any of that shit. Still to this day we haven't hold them to their word. Because we don't know who they, who they made their word with. Because they kept changing our names. The only people in history that got five or six different names to describe them. Why is that? You never asked yourself to that? Why is that? But, but we never forgot that joke. I got Indian in my family. Indian, you the damn Indian. The people of many shades, the indigo people. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Chapter two, the plantation of bondage. This is some powerful, powerful stuff, guys. So we're going to bounce around. We're going to bounce around for the sake of time, right? Because I want to qualify. They would sell niggas for $10, B. White niggas too, B. $10, man. That's how they were selling you into slavery. $10. But let's let's bounce around here. Uh, yeah, you know what? I qualify that one. I qualify that one. The middle period, the middle years, 1610 and 1618. The middle period, 1610 to 1618 began under the new charter of 1609. It was to an interlude between the fade out of the gold fever and the beginning of the tobacco fever, between the uh, fractional factional uh, present and council conduct of the colony's affairs and the establishment of the Virginia Assembly under the great charter of 1618. <coughs> Remember, they gave them a charter from England to create this colony. Remember, Virginia was named after Queen Virginia or Queen Charlotte. Now, it was a period of military dictatorship in the colony uh, headed by a succession of veteran officers of the wars in Ireland and the Netherlands. It saw the creation of the privately organized separate plantation and the beginning of increasing difficulties for the company, it ended with the frustration of the social control efforts of the military regime, whose attempts to enforce the program for balanced economic development uh, wilted in the heat of the tobacco fever. Now remember, tobacco was one of their most uh, cash crops. Tobacco was like gold, right? They would use tobacco to barter with. Like for instance, if someone... Uh, was catching a slave or something like that. They would pay you in, you know, pounds of tobacco, shit like that. 
but let's bounce around. Let's bounce around. The massacre uh, tenure. Uh, tenantry. Tenantry. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. The English uh, bourgeoisie had accomplished both these steps in one operation. The enclosures during the late 15th and early 16th century in Virginia in the 1620s. The starting point was to be the destruction of tenancy. But whereas the enclosures involved the replacement of 100 peasant tillers of the soil with one shepherd, the mere transformation of tenants into non-tenants did not involve any increase in labor productivity. Therefore, the Anglo-American plantation bourgeoisie, unable to create a labor surplus above labor demand, sought by another means to achieve a condition of extreme dependency of labor and people. The first requisite of the successful completion of the general offensive against the rights of laboring classes that reduced them to chattels in Virginia was the, the maintenance of social control. The Anglo-American bourgeoisie did not need to be told that they were dealing with people who were not to be taken for granted in such a matter. The rebellious resistance of the English freefold and copyhold tenants in the 16th century had pr produced a large peasant revolt in the Midlands in the very year Jamestown was founded. So a lot of these white slaves were in an up revolt when they started the first colony. Fresher in the minds of the rulers was the meltdown of the regime of the Lord's divine morale and martial in the faces of colonists uh, determined to defy attempts to restrict the planting of tobacco. Open military dictatorship was over. The colony was now governed by the newly created General Assembly. The colony council and general court reliance was still placed on English mercenary veterans of war in Ireland and the Netherlands, not only to command in warfare against the native population, but also for the maintenance of social control in the interview of the tobacco bourgeoisie. The fulfillment of this social control function was favored by four special conditions prevailing the colony at this time. Now they also show a map. Well, they show a chart that shows these white slaves that immigrated or were shipped to the first colony. Shipped from England in 1607 to 1610. 640 white slaves. In 1610 to 1618, 1,125 white slaves. In 1619 to 1624, 5,009 white slaves to work the first colony. No people from Africa. Survivors in, in Virginia, 65. So out of that 1,200, 65 of them survived. Out of the 5,000 in 1619 of white slaves, 900 survived. These motherfuckers died off in the first colony. Total in Virginia, start of the period, 1,191. 1619, 5,909. Alive at the end of the period, 65 in 1607, 616, 10, 1,200 in 1619. Dead en route or in Virginia. This was coming from England on slave, white slave ships. 575 were dead. 595 were dead in 1610. 4,691 died on the ship being shipped from England here to the colonies to be white slaves. Death rate in England, 2.5%. In 
1607, 2.6 in 1610, 2.1 in 1619. And the sources from Alexander Brown, the first republic in America, Boston and New York, 1895. We give receipts. Bars, gotta give those receipts. The emerging colony elite. The basis for the rise of an elite of rich Virginia planters was laid the very oust on the Edwin uh, Sandys regime in 1619. It is seen outlined in the famous instructions issued to George Yeardley upon his appointment of governor of Virginia that April for every 12 and a half shillings share of Virginia stock. Separate planter capitalists were granted free title to 100 acres of land. And when they when that land was sufficiently peopled with white slaves, an additional amount was to be given to the stockholders equal to the original amount. The term sufficiently peopled is not defined. The four incorporators of Berkeley hundreds, for example, jointly purchased 45 shares and were given a patent for 4,500 acres of Virginia land. See what's going on? So this first stock market where people get shares in a company, you were getting shares in a bond labor company. So the slave system was the first motherfucking stock exchange of white slaves. And they would give these elite hundreds and hundreds of acres of land if they could secure white slaves to work the land. And then slaves of all damn color. Renting out of tenants. Man, this is crazy. The, the operative principle for using the shortage of supplies, whether absolute or relative, the undermine, to undermine the position of the tenants is perfectly exemplified by the case of the 100 tenants sent at the company's expense on the Bonanova who arrived in Virginia on November 4th, 1619, to work under Commander Captain Weldon and Lieutenant Whitaker. The terms under which these men had been engaged to come to Virginia as tenants, see they called the first white slaves tenants, were explicitly and empathetically published by the King's Council for Virginia. This is crazy. But a week after their arrival in Virginia, the governor and colony council wrote the authorities in London of a different arrangement that had been made. It was though expedient by the governor and council to advise the said two gentlemen, Weldman and Whitaker, to rent out the greatest part of their people to some honest and sufficient man of the colony till Christmas, come 12 months for three barrels of Indian corn and 55 pounds of tobacco, a man. That's what they was paying for these white slaves. You don't say. Man, I gotta I got bounce around for the sake of time. Here's what I want you guys to read. John Rofe, who had preceded Pori and colony secretary, remained, it, remained an active correspondent with persons in England, uh, specifically interested in Virginia affairs. In January 20th, excuse me, in January 1620, he reported to Edwin uh, Sandys that those that toward the end of the previous August yearly had exchanged uh, victuals for 20 and odd African labor men and women who had been brought to Virginia in a Dutchman of war, prisoners of war. So the first colony in Virginia that started slavery, they speak of only 20 Africans coming from Africa. All the rest of these people were already of the land. We're going to prove this. 
Stay with me. The readiness to trade uh, victuals for these workers, as Professor Morgan first pointed out, cannot be squared with the plea of a food shortage being advanced by the governors in the colony, but it would be consistent with a policy of reducing labor costs by inducing an oversupply of laborers relative to the amount of food that will be available to them. Great significance attached to the reaction of the company to this renting out of its tenants, the violation of their contract rights, and their consequent impoverishment and deprivation of status. In order to appreciate the significance, it is helpful to contrast the company's reaction in 1618. When Governor Argyle expropriated, expropriated company tenants to his own private use and committed other abuses of authority, Crazy shit. Let's keep it on. Let's keep it going. Because I got to qualify this uh, particular uh, passage. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, goes on to say. As a result of, of the tenant's strong resistance, the governor uh, consented to the easing of the restrictions, although not to its outright and formal uh, revocation. When Yearly was succeeded by Francis Wyatt as governor in 1621, the policy of restricting tobacco planting was officially continued with output to be limited to 112 pounds per year per laboring hand. To the extent that such a policy was effective, the burden fell with much greater impact upon the laboring tenants than upon the land-owning employer of a number of tenants. The tenant had only one half square, but the employer would receive as many half shares. Now remember, they had the white slaves, so-called black slaves, and all of these indentured servants that would work these particular lands on these plantations. And this is where the term sharecropper comes from. They were promised a portion of the harvest. They were promised a portion of the acreage of the land that would be awarded to them. They were supposed to be awarded freedom dues. All of this was in the contract. Many of the contracts were reneged on. So let's keep that in mind. Here we go. Here we go. There's one uh, portion I have to qualify for the record. Give me a second. I don't want to skip this part. Yep, they speak of uh, the attack in uh, 1622, right? They were fighting these Indians on the James River, melanated people, right? But there's a portion that I can't miss. I can't miss. Many of the people uh, were of the land, right? Here we go. In 1624 to 25... Edmund Morgan had accumulated a total of 302 servants. That was 60% of all those categorized as servants in the colony. Some significant portion of them had been forced by a sheer want to join. Great men's plantations, the individual, the individual holding of the grandees ranged from 10 to 39 year, 39 servants. Morgan emphasized the extreme degree of the concentration of this engrossment of the laborers in the hands of the colony elite by noting that contemporary uh, Gloucestershire, Gloucestershire in England with a labor force nearly 40 times as great as that of Virginia, the Virginia colony, had only slightly more employers of 10 or more persons than Virginia's favorite 15. 
the concentration of servants in the colony was guaranteed for the future by the head right system of the land acquisition and tenure and the arrangement of political power based on it with certain and intensify certain to intensify the already apparent degree of concentration of land ownership in Virginia. Now remember the head right system you would come over here as a poor white slave from England. And for each person that got on the ship, they would pledge your labor. You get to America, you work your indentured servitude contract, seven years, ten years, we give you 50 acres of land. And that was the head right system. Now, completely in the labor market was such ex-tenants as John Radish, one of the rented-out tenants as halves who found himself so destitute late in 1622 that he was compelled by necessity to work for his master for food and clothing only, or die of starvation. See? They didn't honor the contracts with their own people. They promised them land when they got over here and reneged. Such being a lot of the tenants at halves and the wage workers, uh, what but despair would come to the apprentices, lacking a master, land and tools, unskilled in labor, possibly displaced for lodging and 3,000 miles from home. It needed only be said that their situation was the most precarious of all. And to note that on April 1622, Edwin Sandy in England had come to the opinion that what Virginia needed most was multitude of apprentices. Now, apprentices was basically, they pledge your labor to learn a skill, right? You're going to become a blacksmith. So you would be somebody's particular slave. You would be their apprentice under this contract for a particular, particular amount of time until you acquired this skill. And then they would pay you freedom dues and all this other stuff. And many of these people became perpetual, poor, landless, poor white slaves because they own people reneged on the contract. Laboring uh, people's difficulties, right? The extreme uh, economic pressures of the laboring people created an opportunity for the abuse of their rights that was deliberately exploited by the official policy and actions of the Virginia Colony Council and General Court. Men and on wages were sold after their employers died. So your master would die, your employer would die, and they would sell you into someone else's contract. This shit, crazy. Laborer Elizabeth Abbott was whipped to death with 500 lasses. White slave got his ass whipped. Man, they should have made a movie on this shit. And, and Elises Hilton was beaten to death with a rake by his employer, Mr. Proctor, in the first recorded instance of the un-English practice of punishing a runaway. So the first white slave that ran away got beat to death. 500 lashes, you don't say. Where's that movie? Interesting. Man, we got, here we go, here we go. Here we go, here we go. This is the part I wanted to add. Early in chapter four, it was argued from authority that the monstrous uh, social uh, mutation in England in English class relations instituted in that tiny cell of Anglo-American society was preconditioned for the subsequent variation of hereditary chattel bond servitude imposed on African-Americans of Virginia. Historical interpretations of the institution of indentured servitude in the Virginia Company period generally anticipated Winthrop D. Jordan's unthinkable decision. Theory of the origin of racial slavery. The initial imposition of chattel bond servitude in continental Anglo-America is justified by its apologist using three propositions. 
The first proposition, there was a shortage of poor laborers in Virginia and an abundance of them in England, so that between English laborers who wanted employment and plantation investors who wanted to get rid of prohibitively cost uh, tenantry and wage laborers, a quid pro quo was agreed according to which the employers paid $6 a cost of transportation from England in exchange the worker agreed to be a chattel bond laborer for a term of five years or so white slaves from England. Second proposition, this form of labor relations was not a sharp uh, disjuncture, but was merely an unreflecting adaptation of some pre-existing form of master-servant relations prevailing in England, white slavery. The third proposition, quid pro quo, quid pro quo, and English uh, precedence aside, the imposition of chattel bond slavery uh, servitude was indispensable. For the colony's progress, a step opposed only by the delicate-minded. The quid pro quo rationale, the argument for shifting the cost of immigration transportation from the employer to the worker, was in some ways analogous to the rationale advanced by the English ruling class in the late 14th century because of the plague-induced labor shortage, labor costs rose, and the ruling uh, feudal class and the necessant bourgeoisie sought to recoup as much as possible of the increased costs by introducing a poll tax and increasing feudal dues exacted from the laboring people. So they would tax the people that they had contracts with. Man, this is crazy. There's one portion I want to add before we close out. Here we go. Under the bond, uh, the contract was legally enforced by civil sanctions, including the requirement of posting bond. Under the bond labor system of the Virginia colony, the worker was presumed to be non-self-supporting. If taken up outside his or her own owner's plantation without the owner's permission, the laborer already bound to four or five years of unpaid bondage was returned to that master and subjected to a further extension of his or her servitude. They would keep extending the contract. And that's where this uh, endless chattel slavery uh, developed into. There we go. There we go. Chattel bondage as the basic general form of production relations was therefore indispensable for the progress of the colony. There's one portion I gotta add. Francis Bacon's uh, Rebellion. One more portion. Bond laboring enduring. The servant trade, a new branch of free enterprise. The servant trade, as it came to be called, that is, the export of chattel laborers from Europe, sprang up as a response to the profit-making needs of the tobacco business, and it soon became a special branch of commerce. These bond laborers provided a convenient cargo for ships going to the plantation to fetch tobacco, sugar, and the other raw products available, writes uh, A.E. Smith. The real stimulus to immigrant immigration was not the desire of the servants to go to America, but the desire of merchants to secure them as cargo, white cargo. Investors as market principals sold Englishmen and women for $2 per head, or even less sometimes, if they had them already in captivity as convicts or workhouse inmates. 
In all, some 92,000 European immigrants were brought to Virginia and Maryland between 1607 and 1682. White slaves. The great majority being sent to Virginia. More than three quarters of them were chattel bond laborers. The great majority of them English. In 1676, it was Governor Berkeley's estimate that about 1,500 European chattel bond laborers were then arriving in Virginia every year. The majority English with a few Scots and a few Irish. Others were brought to the Chesapeake after the defeat of the Catholic cause in 1698-1689, and they were, for a time, especially worrisome to the colonial authorities for fear that they might con uh, confederate with the Negroes. And Francis Nicholas Wayne uh, warned was warned when he was governor of Maryland. So they saying that these white slaves would confederate with the Negro slaves. But they're not talking about Negroes from Africa. Interesting shit. Volunteer immigrant bond laborers were those who boarded ships for America of their own conscious will. Although, in most cases, that, they was, that was uh, uh, shaped by extreme hardship and defeat at home. Or by self-delusion about the prospects of prospering in the new land. Of those who came thus voluntarily in the 17th century, some arrived with written contracts called indentures, setting forth the names of their owners, the duration of their periods of servitude, and perhaps some consideration or freedom dues that their owners was to give the laborer upon completion of their terms. In some cases, the indenture between the worker and the particular plantation owner whom he or she was to serve in the colony more frequently, the indenture was arranged with a merchant ship's captain or another middleman who sold the laborer to the highest bidder and signed over the indenture to the new owner. See what was taking place? This was a whole business. Man, this is some powerful shit. Gotta qualify the scholarship. Listen to this last part. Salute. Virginia-born African-Americans as a source of bond labor. Virginia-born African-Americans. Now take off that term African-American. You talking about people that was already born in Virginia before the colony. And they wasn't from Africa. Listen to this part. The main domestic source of bond laborers in the plantation colonies was by way of the imposition of hereditary bond servitude of African Americans under the system of racial slavery and white supremacy. While before the end of the colonial period, the great majority of the bond laborers in the plantation colonies were American born. The first colony was started with <coughs> so-called slaves that were born in America. They wasn't from Africa. Where the hell is these slave ships with these millions of Africans? Big cat. I'll read that again. The main domestic source of bond laborers in the plantation colonies was by way of the imposition of hereditary bond servitude on African Americans under the system of racial slavery and white supremacy. Well before the end of the colonial period, the great majority of bond laborers in the plantation colonies were American born. In 1790, they were more than twice as many African-American bond laborers in the continental plantation colonies as had come from overseas in the entire colonial period. 
the plantation bourgeoisie had not achieved this condition. However, in the 17th century, at the same time, most of the plantation laborers were limited-term bond laborers, a category composed in the great majority of European-American immigrants. So they had either white slaves or American-born so-called slaves with dark skin. They wasn't from Africa. I'm going to close off there. Salute to everyone tuning in. This is the Third Eye High Podcast. This is the Book Report series. At the Third Eye High Podcast, we deal with a higher consciousness of a flyer culture. And I'm your host, J.F. Bay. I'm just here to shine my light your way, to help you find your light switch, and keep your light lit. And this was The Invention of the White Race, Volume 2, The Origin of Racial Oppression in Anglo-America by Theodore W. Allen. If you want to salute the podcast, you want to support the podcast, hit up my cash app, dollar sign, far out flow, F-A-R-O-U-T-F-L-O-W. You can send a donation by any other form. Subscribe, subscribe to the podcast on all podcast streaming platforms. Always remember to keep your third eye high.